Hello and welcome to the Hope City Church podcast. We're always so encouraged to know that God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please send a message to lifechange at hopecityonline.net. Now, let's prepare our hearts for a powerful message out of God's Word. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. There's a little hidden passage of scripture. I've only ever heard one other pastor preach on this passage of scripture. Matter of fact, um, in our preparations for this series, um, I had no intention of utilizing this particular passage because it's so um, minute and small and often overlooked that I didn't think it had anything to do with the, the, the concept or the content of the series. And I was reminded of it this past week in preparation for this conversation that we're having together. As most of you know, we are uh, utilizing this series, God is Here, to unpack some of the heart behind the songs that we released on the EP um, that just came out a few weeks ago. Um, And we've been working our way through those songs. And the song that we're going to unpack together this morning is the song that we opened the service with, and that is Praise the King. And so... I was thinking about what and how and to what value certain passages of Scripture would add or, um, or create understanding for this particular song. And I landed on this particular passage of Scripture in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. If you're not careful, you'll miss it. But look what it says. This is Isaiah prophesying in the Old Testament about what was to come in the future. He says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Now, give me a second. Let me unpack this for you. Jesse was the father of David, King David. And out of the lineage of King David, several hundred years later, came the promise personified in the person of Jesus Christ. And long before, several hundred years before Jesus ever steps onto the scene, Isaiah prophesies over the life of Jesse, prophesies over the lineage of Jesse, prophesies about what is to come. And he says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Now, this is important. Pay attention to this because this language isn't happenstance. This language is significant. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. The only way that you have a stump is if something has been cut down, if something has been taken down to the nub, if something has been hacked on, if something has been destroyed. Stumps don't grow up out of nowhere. Stumps are the remnants of what's left over after a tree has lived its life and then it is cut down because it has died. And it says that there's this stump of Jesse, meaning there's this lineage of reality that's going on that has been chopped down, that has been cut down, that has been torn apart, that has been destroyed. And a shoot will come up from the ashes of that remnant. A shoot will come up from the ashes, from the mess that's left over. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots, the roots that have been hacked on, the roots that have been cut down, the roots who've been through it, 
How many of you have been through it in your life? You've struggled in your life. You've been through difficulty in your life. I would ask you to raise your hand, but I don't want to embarrass anybody. How many of you would say, I'm going through it right now? Like, I'm, I'm being hacked on right now. I'm being cut down right now. I'm in the middle of the pruning process of my life. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and from the roots of that stump, from the roots of that aftermath, a branch is coming. And that branch isn't dead. That branch brings life. That branch will bear fruit. It was a promise of something to come. And that thing that was to come was beautiful, was holy, was significant, was game-changing, not only for people who live in the Old Testament, but significantly for you and for me today. Here's a guy several thousand years ago talking about our future. And he's saying that from this mess... From this aftermath of everything falling apart, something great's going to happen. Something's going to rise out of it that's going to change everything. And that verse lays out the context in which I want to deliver to you the subject matter of our conversation this morning. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. This isn't cliche. This isn't pastor talk. This isn't just what we're supposed to say because we're in church. I firmly believe this, and I want you to hang on to this this morning. When life cuts you down to nothing, God is up to something. When life cuts you down to nothing, you better believe that God is up to something. When there's nothing left, when you feel like everything has been taken, when you feel like everything has been stolen, when you feel like there's there's literally nothing left for you to give, when your life has been forcibly chopped down to nothing, you better believe God's still moving, God's still working, God still has a plan, God's still on the throne, God's still good, he still knows you by name, he still loves you, he still passionately pursues you, he still cares about you, and he's still doing something. When life cuts you down to nothing, God is up to something. And here's what I'm learning, the longer that I pastor and the longer that I live, God's usually up to the most when I'm experiencing the least. Usually when I'm experiencing the most, it's because I played my cards right. It's because I did something right. It's because I set something up and it worked well. But when everything in my life is falling apart and I don't have the capacity or the ability to, to make sense of what's going on or to handle what's going on or to rearrange what's going on, that's when God steps in and says, yeah, this is what I've been wanting to do all along. Pay attention. It's usually when life has been cut down to nothing for me, that I'm at the end of my rope, that I don't know where to turn, that I don't know where to go, that I begin to see the hand of God move in powerful, powerful ways that only He can get credit for. When life cuts you down to nothing, God is up to something. I'm learning that most of the fruitful moments in my life are the least fun moments in my life. And most of the fun moments in my life are the least fruitful moments of my life. When everything's peachy keen, everything's going great, I don't learn a lot. You remember when you were growing up and you had to learn lessons the hard way? And in those, in those moments, in the, well, for some of you, you're like, forget growing up, I'm learning those lessons right now. But you remember when you were growing up and everything would go fine, Everything would go swimmingly. Everything would go according to your plan. You never learned anything, right? It was when everything fell apart that you learned. Oh, this doesn't always work out. Oh, I need to prepare better. Oh, I need to do something different. I need to be intentional. I know for me, 
It happens all the time, literally all the time. I had to learn lessons the hard way because I'm a knuckleheaded joker and I don't listen to nobody. I got to learn it myself. And usually when I make mistakes, and usually they're my mistakes, for some people they step into messy circumstances. I create messy circumstances for my life. Maybe you're, maybe you're holier than me, but for me, it's usually my fault. I, I love to blame other people, but it's usually my fault. And usually when I, when I get into those situations circumstances that I've created, when I've made this mess for myself, that's when God begins to move and God begins to teach me things and God begin, begins to do things in me that I would otherwise have missed out on. And you got to know that that is the time, that is the season, that is the moment. If that's where you're at, if you've, if you've made mistakes, if you've done things, if there's situations and circumstances that are far beyond the realm of your ability to take hold of now because you've moved past that point, please remember and hear me say this and know this. If you don't hear anything else today, God's up to something. God's up to something around you. God's up to something through you. And God is up to something in you. And don't you dare forget it. Let me prove it to you. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to open them up to the book of Acts. This will be our narrative text for the morning. Acts chapter 16, and we'll pick it up in verse 16. This was written by the guy who wrote Luke, the gospel of his namesake. Dr. Luke wrote the gospel, and then he wrote part two of the gospel, which is the book of Acts. And in Luke's gospel, in chapter 16, he's writing about a journey that Paul and Silas, missionaries were going on and the experience that they had on that journey. For those of you who were raised in church, this is probably a familiar passage of scripture, but my heart and my hope and my prayer is that you'll see something in it that you've never seen before. Acts chapter 16, picking it up in verse 16, the scripture says this, once we were going to the place of prayer, we were met, and again, this is from the perspective of Luke, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. This is Miss Cleo. She earned a great deal of money for... Y'all remember Miss Cleo? I remember Miss Cleo. 1-800 number on the bottom of the screen late at night. <laughs> she, <laughs> she went bankrupt. Too bad she couldn't see that coming. All right. She, who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul... And the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now, this lady had an actual spirit who could actually help her to see what was going on because she spoke the truth over Paul. And look what it says here. She kept this up for many days. And finally, and I love this about Paul, she's speaking the truth. She's giving them props. She's bragging on them. And Paul's not like, well, thank you very much. It says, finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. And when her owners realized that their hope of making money off this girl was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews. And are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs that are unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. So the crowd joined in on the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them 
carefully. This is a prime example of a couple of people who've been cut down to the root, who've been cut down to the stump. There's nothing left. Not only have they been physically attacked, they've been spiritually attacked, they've been emotionally attacked, and now they're hanging up in a jail cell chained to the wall with no hope of how to get out or to continue their mission. When the guard received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas, watch this, highlight this, circle this, underline this. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Some of you don't like singing a long time in church. These jokers were singing in jail. These guys said, no matter where we go, no matter what we faced, no matter what's going on, we're going to lift high the name of Jesus. We're going to make him known. We're going to declare it. We're going to shout it from the rooftops. They were singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. When you are cut down to nothing, don't forget that God is up to something. When you're in the middle of going through hell, just remember God's getting ready to pour out heaven over your life. Don't ever forget that. And everyone's chains came loose. And the jailer woke up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Why was he going to kill himself? Because he had been ordered to guard these guys with his life. And if they all had been set free, he was going to be tortured. His family would probably be tortured. And ultimately, he would be killed. So he drew his sword to take his own life. Because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Now pay attention to this. All too often, what God is up to is not what you think he should be up to. I'm going to say that again because some of you missed it. You need to pay attention to this. Remember I told you when you're cut down to nothing that God's up to something? That's true, but you've got to remember this one subtle asterisk. Often what you think God should be up to isn't what God thinks God should be up to. You know why? Because God's ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. No one can fathom or understand the plans and directions of the Lord. The assumption here would be, we're in jail, we start praising, God busts our chains loose, God gets us out. The assumption would be, the plan is, God has set us free. God had a plan for Paul and Silas. But it wasn't to set them free. It was to use them for his purpose and his glory in the life of somebody else. See, God had an agenda. But the agenda didn't stop with Paul and Silas. The agenda went on to the jailer. And God could have never done what he had wanted to do in the life of the jailer had he not taken Paul and Silas through hell in the process. When you're cut down to nothing, God's got this whole other thing going on that you can't see, fathom, or realize. Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. 
Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all of his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. When you are cut down to nothing, God is up to something. So how do we respond knowing that that's the reality that's going on? How do we respond knowing that that's actually what's taking place, that God's actually moving, that God's actually working, that God's actually doing something? Well, the best example I can give you is the example of Paul and Silas. And when they had been cut down to nothing, they decided that it was time to sing. They decided that it was time to worship. They decided that it was time to praise and they weren't praising because of their circumstances around them they were praising because of who they were in relationship with they were praising because of who he was not what they were seeing some of you right now you've walked into this place and you're going through hell financial hell emotional hell relational hell some of you are going through it You can't make sense of it, and you're not sure how to respond. You've cried out to God. You've shed tears. You've done everything you could think to do to fix the situation or circumstance. And you're like, what's left to do? I would submit to you, now is the time to do what you should have started with. Now it's time to praise. Praise God for who he is. Praise God for his faithfulness. Praise God for his love. Praise God for his mercies, which are new every single morning. Praise God for his mercy, which is never failing. Begin to praise God for who he is rather than focusing on or seeing what it is that you're going through. Jesus said this, and this passage has been interpreted a whole host of ways. Jesus said there's coming a time when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now, I happen to believe that old adage that God's word is infallible, but my interpretation is not. And so I won't tell you what I know that verse to mean. I'll tell you what I think that verse means. Obviously, God wants us to worship in spirit, in intimacy, in direct connection with him, in his presence with him. But he also wants us to worship in truth, meaning... He wants us to worship for what's really going on, not what we see is going on. He wants us to worship for what he's really doing, not just what we're experiencing or how we feel. You can worship with emotion. You can worship with excitement. You can worship out of of frustration. You can worship out of emotion if you want to. But true worship is worshiping for what's really going on, not just what you see and what you're experiencing in the moment. Paul and Silas weren't praising God that they were hung up in a jail cell. They weren't weren't praising God going, well, it's not really like this. No, it was really like this. They were praising God for the truth that was going on behind the scenes, and that was that God was up to something. God was doing something. God was utilizing this circumstance and utilizing this situation. And for that, they were giving him praise. For that reason, they were singing. God had a plan for a jailer. And they didn't know all the details of that plan, but they knew God had a plan. And so they were praising him for it. They were singing for it. God was in the middle of springing up a shoot in the middle of two lives that had been completely and utterly cut down. And they responded with song. They responded 
with praise. And I love the bridge of that song because it's indicative of what Paul and Silas were doing in this jail. The bridge of the song that, that we wrote, that we sang earlier, Praise the King, says these words. It says, we will shout your name. We will sing your praise. We will show your love and we will spread your grace. When do we do that? When we feel like it, when life's going our way, when everything's working out the way we want it to? No, we do it when we're hung up in a jail cell because we know there's a truth going on behind the scenes. God is up to something that nobody else can see. And so we begin to lift high the name of Jesus. We begin to declare the name of Jesus. We begin to respond to the name of Jesus. Because when you've experienced hope, when you've experienced something that is life-altering and life-changing, you can't help but open your mouth and talk about it. You can't help but declare it. You can't help but say something about it. It's interesting. I saw this on full display yesterday. We are uh, in the process right now of, I said we, my wife has nothing to do with it. She wants nothing to do with it. I am in the process of uh, teaching our teenage daughter how to drive, um, which is a completely interesting set of circumstances for a whole layer uh, or or number of layers of reasons. Um, But trying to teach her how to drive. She's 14, uh, and within the year, she'll be eligible to get her permit, and that terrifies the mess out of me. Um, and so I at least want some semblance of like control over the situation. And so we've got this back part of our neighborhood that there's no houses built. It's just roads and it's just mud and it's just dirt. And so what are you going to hurt? Right. And so go back there and we'll teach her how to drive. And for the last several weeks, man, she's been doing so good. She's been killing it. Right. Using her turn signals, um, using only one foot with the pedals, which is a big step in the right direction from where we started. Um, She's kind of learning to feel out the wheel and how to like let the wheel kind of kick back when you make turn. Like the whole dish was doing so good. So yesterday, I decided I'm gonna let her drive home because we're still in the neighborhood. We're not on any main roads. No big deal. She's been doing so good. I felt complete confidence. I'm gonna let her drive home. No big deal. So we're in my wife's SUV and we get all the way to the left-hand turn where you turn onto my street and my house is the first driveway on the street. So we're right in front of my house. We're right there, right? And she has done good. She's went through traffic. There's been, uh, she's had to wait on traffic. She's been weaving her way around, doing so good, right? We pull up to my house and I see my dad has come over and he is out in front of my house with his car. And I don't know if it's because of the combination of being new to driving and seeing my dad and feeling the pressure of somebody else being there. I don't know if it's because she began to think about what she was going to do when she got out of the car because she saw my dad there. I don't know what the the circumstances which led to what took place uh, were. But she, as she made the left-hand turn onto my street, she cut the wheel as hard as she possibly could. Um... And so she wasn't turning left anymore. She was literally turning like around. Um, and she pulled up onto the median and, uh, and was heading towards a mailbox and a stop sign. At which point, fine, no problem. We're under control. I just said, okay, okay, hit the brake, 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 brake. And because she was nervous and because my dad was there and because of everything that was going on, instead of hitting the brake, she hit the gas. And we plowed through the stop sign. 
plowed straight over the stop sign. And I'm screaming, break, right? doesn't matter what you're screaming at that point, though. For two reasons. Number one, she thinks the brake's the gas. And number two, she don't speak English. And so, and so I yell break, we keep going, right? Finally, she realizes this is not what we're supposed to be doing. And so she hits the brake. And my dad runs over. His car's parked on the street. And I'm thinking he's all concerned about what's happened and what's going on. And in fact, he's only concerned that his car is not damaged. His car has not been hit. But he knows at any moment she could hit the gas again and hit it. So rather than checking on us and hanging out with us, he jumps in his car and drives off. (laughs) Just screw y'all. I'm gone. We're literally sitting on top of a stop sign. Dad drives off. If I'm lying, I'm dying. True story. And if you're wondering, are you throwing your father under the bus right now? All day long. Yes. So he drives off. His car was fine. Um, I look to my left in our front yard, and I see my son, Caleb, my nine-year-old son, Caleb. And he's standing there, and he's watching this whole thing transpire. And he's watching, and he's going. <laughs> and immediately, like like, doesn't take a second to think about it, doesn't process it, doesn't, like, go through the, the pros and cons. Immediately, he jumps up, he turns around, and he runs in the house. Ten seconds later, my wife walks outside. Bro, snitches get stitches. Loser. He saw us plow through, now, for the record, it was an unbelievable experience. Like I was living in a State Farm commercial. <laughs> Plowed over this mailbox, or this, this stop sign. And my son, instead of coming and checking to see if everybody's okay, instead of making sure that um, we don't need anything, his immediate innate response as a human being, nobody taught him this. He didn't learn it from me. His innate response as a human being is, I got to go tell somebody. I got to go tell somebody. You know why I know that's an innate response? Because I felt the same way. I said, I don't care how I'm working this into the message tomorrow because I got to tell somebody. Right? When something like this happens, when something extraordinary happens, when you witness something unbelievable, you want to tell people. Right? And so he ran and he couldn't keep his mouth shut about it. That was what was going on with Paul and Silas. They had had an unbelievably life-changing experience and they couldn't help but run their mouth about it. They couldn't help but sing about it. They couldn't help but talk about it. They couldn't help but let people know about it. They're in the middle of a terrible situation and in the middle of that terrible situation, their first response is, I gotta tell somebody about what's happened. I gotta talk to somebody about what's taking place. In the same way my son runs in and has to tell my wife what's happened, Paul and Silas are going, this is revolutionary. This is different. This is game-changing. This is life-changing. We can't keep our mouth shut about it, no matter how hopeless the situation may be. We've got to praise. We've got to sing. 
We've got to shout. We've got to lift up the name of Jesus. We've got to put it on display. We've got to spread your grace. We've got to spread your love. We've got to let people know that Jesus is the author of our lives and he desperately wants to walk alongside of us and transform who we are. We've got to tell people about that. We don't care where we are. And we don't care what's going on. And that is the response that God wants from you and from me when we face hopeless and difficult situations. That's how he wants us to express our hope. He wants us to sing. He wants us to declare. He wants us to tell the world because we have hope. And we don't lean into that hope because of what we currently see around us. We lean into that hope because of what we don't. You say, what? Yeah, this is exactly what the scripture teaches us in Romans chapter 8, verse 24. The scripture says this. For in this hope, we were saved. Big news, life-changing, life-altering. Got to tell somebody. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. you got to know that no matter how difficult the circumstances are, no matter how painful the situation is, God's desire is for you to lean in to everlasting, unshakable hope. And, and, and the reality is, is that faith is the fuel for hope. And, and if you know what's going on, you have no need for faith. If you're not in a jail cell, if things aren't being torn apart at the seams, if you haven't been hacked down to nothing, if you're not being cut down to a stump, you have no need for faith. But when you're hacked down to nothing and you're desperate for God to do something and you have faith in his ability to move and work on your behalf, that spurs up inside you, that wells up inside you, that creates something inside you that we as believers call hope. And out of that hope, we sing. Out of that hope, we declare. Out of that hope, we lift high the name of Jesus. Out of that hope, we praise the King. The chorus of that song that we sang earlier is so simple, yet so profound. Sing, sing praises to the one who saves. Not praises to the one who gets us out of our momentary afflictions, but praises to the one who's brought salvation and brings us hope. The writer of Hebrews says that this hope is an anchor for the soul. It's an anchor for the soul. When do you need an anchor? When you want to stay steadfast in the middle of raging waters. You don't need an anchor that goes with the tide. You don't need an anchor that floats alongside of whatever's going on. You need an anchor that holds true. God says, I want you to sing when you're in the middle of affliction. Not because of what's happening around you, because you have hope. Because you've been given this hope as an anchor for the soul. And in the middle of the difficult circumstances, you have this hope that God is up to something by the power of his spirit and through the shed blood of his son. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. 
And I think the message translation of Romans chapter five kind of sums this up best. And I'll, I'll close with this. Romans chapter five, the apostle Paul says, there's more to come. There's more than what you see right now. There's more than this momentary situation and circumstance. There's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed up with troubles because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us and how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue keeping us alert for whatever God will do next keeping us focused on that thing that God is up to keeping us tuned in to what God is doing despite what we see around us taking our focus away from the fact that we're cut down to a stump and instead turning our focus onto the fact that there is a shoot rising up out of that stump and God is about to do something spectacular in alert expectancy such as this we're never left feeling shortchanged. You lose the job, you lose the house, you lose the car, you lose the spouse. Everything in life falls apart, but you're not left feeling shortchanged because those are what the, the scriptures call momentary afflictions. You're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of hope that we sing about. That's the kind of hope that we cling to. That's the kind of hope that we praise through. That's the kind of hope that we live in. That's the kind of hope that we share when we leave this place. And ladies and gentlemen, I would submit to you, that's the kind of hope people are desperate for. They don't need another preacher to tell them everything's going to be all right. They don't need another pastor to tell them, just do this and God will fix this. Because they've tried that before and it hadn't worked. They need somebody that's offering them the kind of hope that they can sing about when they're held up in a jail cell. You know who they're going to see it in? You and me. And if our hope is rooted in our circumstances, we're not offering them anything they want or need. We're not offering them anything different. God says to you this morning, and God said to me, I want you to know no matter what you're facing, no matter how far you've been cut down, no matter how much of nothing there is left, I'm up to something. And I want you to hope in that. I want you to trust in that. I want you to cling to that. And in response, I want you to praise to that. I want you to sing, sing praises to the one who saves. I want you to shout my name. I want you to sing my praise. I want you to show my love. I want you to share my grace. I want you to sing from the rooftops about this hope. It is an anchor for your soul. And when you do, you'll begin to see that something that I'm up to. You'll begin to see the point of the process. You'll begin to see the shoot that's rising up out of the stump. 
Some of you are here this morning and you don't, you don't have that kind of hope. You've never started a relationship with God and when you go through hell, it's just that, it's just hell. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. There's no hope for you because when you face life, it all falls on your shoulders. The salvation that we talk about, the hope that we talk about, the life that we talk about has nothing to do with us has everything to do with Jesus. He wants to take on your burdens. He wants to walk with you through this life hand in hand. He wants to carry you through. And he wants you to know that you can have hope in the middle of hopeless seasons. And all it requires of you is trust and faith in his ability to do so. And admission of your inability. Admission that you're sinful, that you're faulty, that you're broken, that you need a Savior. And that He is that Savior. And if you're here this morning and you would say, Robbie, I got to be honest. I need that kind of hope in my life. I'm desperate for that kind of hope. I'm going through it right now and I don't have anywhere to turn. I don't have a light at the end of the tunnel. I don't have what it is that you're talking about. But man, I so desperately want what you have. I want desperately what the people in this room have. We want to come alongside of you. We want to support you. We want to help you. You can begin talking to God and telling him that right now in the stillness of this moment. You can begin telling him, God, I need you. I'm desperate for you. I need you in my life. And as you begin to tell him that, what we want to do is we want to support you. We want to rally around you. We won't embarrass you. We won't call your attention or call, call everybody's attention to you and call you up to the front. We're not going to do anything like that. We're not going to put you on some kind of crazy mailing list and show up to your house on Tuesday night. We just want to be able to pray for you. We just want to be able to support you in the decision that you're making. And so as you're telling God that, we want you to tell us that. And here's how. We want you to grab that card. It's in the seat back pocket in front of you. One of those cards that says next steps. Grab that card that says next steps and on it, make sure to let us know the decision that you're making. Make sure to let us know that you desperately need, want, and have to have that hope in your life. And let us come alongside you. Let us support you. It's very, very simple. You take that card, you drop it in one of the black boxes on the way out the door. You can drop it off at our resource center if you want to talk to somebody. But you head out and then somebody contacts you today or tomorrow. No pressure. Usually it's just like an email or something, a text or something non-threatening. It's just our way of reaching out to say, hey, we're here for you. We want you to know that decision you made is a huge decision. We made it too, and here's the difference it's made in our life. We want to be able to come alongside you. Don't leave this place without telling us that you've decided to dedicate your life to sing, sing praises to the one who saves. God, we love you, and we thank you for the difference that you've made in us. And despite what we face, despite what we deal with, despite what we go through, we thank you that you give us a hope which we can lean into and trust in and sing about even in our darkest hour. We're going to give you the praise for it. It's in the matchless and mighty name of Jesus that we pray.